Mac Power Users, Episode 216, iOS 8 Developer Roundtable. Welcome back to another episode of the Mac Power Users Podcast. I'm Katie Floyd alongside David Sparks. Hey, David. Hi, Katie Floyd. How are you today? I am great. And, you know, I think we have got the largest group on Skype that we have ever had in the history of Mac Power Users, and I am so excited for this developer roundtable. Uh, I didn't, honestly, I didn't think we'd be able to pull it off, but everybody said yes, and I am I am so thrilled to to have these folks joining us. Well, why don't we tell everybody who's here with us? All right. Do you want to introduce our guests? Sure. Uh, so we did our last show on iOS 8, and one of the things we were talking about is uh, basically I gushed over how I think the automation and the extension and all these great things that Apple's added is going to change the way we use our devices. And Katie was smart enough to say, well, why don't we talk to some people that are actually working with this stuff so they can tell us what they think about it and where they see it going. And of course, the first three people that came to our mind all said yes. The first one with us today is Ken Case from Omni. Hi, Ken. Hi, good to be with you. Thank you for inviting us. Oh, well, it's it's really our pleasure. And and Ken, the Omni Group is, in fact, all three of these guests are are sometimes sponsors of the show. That's not why they're here. They're here because they've all made some really amazing extensions with iOS eight, and we thought they would be some of the best people to share this information. Well, Ken's company, the Omni Group, obviously does Omni Focus, Omni Outliner, and everything else Omni. And you guys have got some great stuff now with iOS eight, and we're looking forward to talking to you about that. Um. Uh, Katie, would you like to introduce our next guest? Yep. We also have from Smile, again, full disclosure, a, a longtime uh, sponsor of the show, uh, but Greg Scown, who is also here to talk about some of the ex- changes that they've made with Text Expander, particularly with custom keyboards and Text Expander. So, Greg, welcome and thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. And also, we've got Dave Tier from 1Password and Agile. Dave, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for uh, inviting me here. You know, it's Dave. Dave and me uh, met when we were, you know, when you were in had that little booth in the back of the. Uh, what was that uh, called? Mackerel. Tiny Town. Tiny, Tiny Town. Town. Yeah. <laughs> your your booth was smaller than a large pizza, I think. Well, you shared it. They had it like they had split, and they had a and, quarter of it. Yeah. And we met, and I don't know why, but we talked to each other for like two hours, and we had so much fun. I always feel like our friendship goes right back to the beginning, and I love watching what you've done with your company. And as well, 1Password is all over iOS 8 and these changes. So now that we've got some people here a lot smarter than us to talk about it, we thought it would be interesting to go through some of these big changes that we've had with iOS 8, and from a developer perspective, how it's changed the way you're viewing software. So... And I, I, I do want to point out, David, we mentioned it briefly in the intro, but the reason that we have picked these particular developers to join us, one is they're our friends and we had some great connections and they said yes, but they truly were our first choices because between these three groups of developers, they really cover the full range of all of the new extensibility options in, in iOS 8 and they do it very well. Yeah, Text Expander uh, from Smile has got really an, an awesome keyboard. By the way, Katie, I did a screencast on that new keyboard, so we'll put the link for that in the show notes. And the Omni Group has put OmniFocus all over the place with the extensions, which is really awesome. Yeah, and then in, da- in the browser and notification center, I'm, I'm loving having being able to send things to OmniFocus from just about everywhere. 
And then Dave has, with one password, literally made Safari usable. So (laughs) I think think we've got the right people here. Uh, But I'd like to go back in time a little bit because uh, when WWDC happened this year, everybody was saying, you know, this year is going to be pretty good. Everybody wants to pay attention, you know, and um, so much so that I almost got a ticket the last minute went up to go because it just sounded like things were going to be exciting. But then I said, well, you know, you never know. And of course I didn't go and it was exciting because, uh, you know, last year Apple announced iOS 7, which was a lot of, of graphic redesign, which led to a tremendous amount of work for the three guests on the show and their companies, as well as all the other developers out there, but didn't extend functionality a whole lot. And, and this year Apple kind of went the other direction. We added some great new uh, abilities in iOS 8 to make using your iOS devices easier. And so you guys were sitting in the room and we saw the Craig Craig Federighi show. And what were your thoughts um, when Apple first announced how far they were willing to go with iOS 8? (laughs) (laughs) It's it's hard with five people on Skype. I appreciate that. Well, Ken, what do you think? Sure. Uh, Well, my first thought was woohoo, right? (laughs) Suddenly we had the ability to do all kinds of things that uh, that customers have been asking us for for years and that we hadn't been able to do before. So, uh, you know, from being able to add the new Today extensions in the uh, lock screen in the notification center or building new t- sharing options to easily capture stuff from other apps and uh, the, all the new document stuff. Um, and in a lot of ways, they sort of, um, they broke some walls in the ecosystem where... Uh, where things had started to feel a little bit closed. If you wanted to use any sort of cloud storage, you had to decide, okay, am I going to store stuff on Dropbox or am I going to store it on iCloud or on box.com? Or, you know, we, we of course ended up building our own omnipresence, but then suddenly this was getting very fragmented. Uh, and, you know, with one simple API, uh, you know, by adding a simple API for us to integrate with, now Apple broke down that wall and said, let's give users that choice instead of making uh, app makers have to decide which which cloud service provider to use. So, uh, and that, you know, again, that's just one of the many things that they added. Well, it's just like in my experience, uh, using OmniFocus, uh, whenever I see a web page I like, I had this really complicated system where I would like save it to pocket and put a tag on it or email it to my secret OmniFocus email address and all these steps. And just, just the other day I was looking at a website. I'm like, you know, I'm going to write a blog post on this. So I just, tap the extension button and saved it to OmniFocus. And, you know, I said, I could get used to this. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I bet some of it, like Dave, when you guys left there, it's like, I, I would suspect with you guys, one of the big things at WDC is just wrapping your head around what the potential for this, these new features are with the software you have developed. Oh, uh, absolutely. We, um, to, to be honest, I, I spent most of the keynote just, just stunned. I kind of just... It, it, if I felt like a kid in the candy store, you know, everything just seemed like it, you know, was built for us. Like I, I just remember so many conversations I've had with users that they wanted to fill in Safari and I would have to like kind of sigh and explain to them, you know, why this isn't possible. Or like, you know, when, when I saw you out in California there recently, David, you were talking about touch ID and I was just like, well, there's nothing I can do with that. Right. And now it's like, it's just amazing. I, I, um, I can unlock one password with my with my fingerprint. I don't have to, you know, I don't have to sigh when I talk to you about Touch ID anymore. Um, well, with Touch ID in particular, I it seems so obvious when they demoed it, but I also kind of felt like this is such a security, it's such a high profile item for Apple. I could see how they would wait a while 
just to make sure it's working before they open it to the world. And and as I understand it, and Dave, please correct me, it basically the uh, the app developers don't have any access to what what my fingerprint looks like. They just they make a call and say, "Is it his fingerprint? Yes or no?" And if it gets a yes, then you can do something. If it gets a no, you can do something else. Yeah, you're you're exactly right. Like a lot of users talk to me about like encrypting their data with their fingerprint. And you can kind of describe it that way, but but in reality, what's happening is we make a call out to uh, to iOS, and we just say, you know, is this is this a, a user known? And it will return true or false, basically. I'm along with an error code, but basically, it's true or false. And you know, we take care of the rest of the work, right? Like you know, um, storing your master password. Um, yeah, but the but the, and the good news is for people out there who are, who are skeptical is. Uh, 1Password or any of these apps using this do not actually get to see what your fingerprint is. They don't get that information. All they know is whether or not the phone is satisfied. And and so that protects everybody. And uh, I, I just think it was a no-brainer. And I, I do understand why it took a while, but now that it's here, boy, I wouldn't go back. One, one side benefit, we're going to get into this later, but one side benefit for me and I think for our listeners is uh, it, it was very tempting before to have a small 1Password password not because of the Mac, but because of iOS. Because when you'd open it up, typing in a, a very long string is just tedious, especially when it's a password-type long string. It's not something you can just dictate because I know mine is really goofy and it wouldn't work if I tried to, to dictate it. But now with this Touch ID, you can have an even longer password than you've ever had before because you're not going to need to use it as often. Yeah, that's that's one of my favorite parts about iOS, iOS 8. It's just, you know, now I, I can have as strong of a master password as I want. I know some of my users actually have like a 50 character master password and I never bothered to do that on iOS cuz I was just like oh my god I, I can't I can't type that. But now yeah, I, yeah. I you know I, I I don't really care how long it is. Yeah. And like and for you Greg, I mean it was almost legendary how much how much you guys went through to make text expander work throughout iOS and how hard it was. And then you're sitting in the keynote, and they're like, "Oh yeah, we got extra key uh, keyboards, and we got the ability for apps to talk to each other." I mean, what were you thinking as you sat there? It was pretty thrilling, I got to admit. Um, I mean, it's just fantastic to be able to make the product work the way that we want the product to work on iOS, and to make it ubiquitously available as it is on OS X. Did you know immediately how you were going to implement it when you were watching the keynote? Not entirely, but I had an inkling of how it would look, yeah. Did you I mean did you know it was gonna be a keyboard from the beginning? Uh yeah, I was pretty sure it was gonna be a keyboard from the beginning. Yeah. Uh it seemed like the only technology that would allow us to expand abbreviations in any app. Um and I assumed also that they weren't going to permit us to filter the system keyboard, and in fact that's the case. We had to write it completely from scratch. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about that that process for all of you. So I know you all went out to WWDC, but correct me if I'm wrong. I don't believe you all actually got passes to the actual conference. I think some of you ended up having to go to to Alt WWDC. How did how did you make that progression from okay, we're here, we're in San Francisco. Here's the keynote. We've we've learned about these features. Now we actually have to go implement this, and the race is on because WWDC, I, I don't recall the exact dates, but it's mid to late June, and here we are sitting in, in mid-September, and iOS 8 is is out, and you all had apps that released on launch day and, and very polished apps because I, I know that I, I was in the beta for, for some of your apps. Um, I know that you've been working on this all summer long, and even to get to the beta stage, there was a, a good bit of work before you could even put out a beta for for your users. So 
Um, you know, Greg, maybe we'll, we'll continue with you and then, then go back around backwards the other way that we came. Um, once, once you knew that, okay, this is a possibility, how did you and your team decide to go about and, and make this happen? Sure. It was a combination of terrifying and exciting. Um, I mean, it's a schedule that is, you know, very, very difficult to, to meet, um, especially with new technology that, you know, was also itself in beta. I mean, don't forget that we're writing our beta software while Apple is rolling along betas of iOS. Um, and so it was just, I don't know, it was kind of chaotic and crazy, but and, and it was also very fun. Especially with the keyboard. I would imagine that, you know, Apple probably wasn't locked down 100% on exactly how they were going to implement that keyboard. And it, They did a pretty good job of making the rules clear from the outset, um, and they didn't change them too much. Uh, they did fix things and make them work better as things went along, so that was very helpful. And uh, just the ability to do it was neat. And so, I mean, in terms of process, uh, I was I left on vacation the week after WWDC, um, and I lucked out. Did you out say, okay, Philip, st- good luck? No, my partner was taking an Italian class, and so I had the day to work, actually, because that was the plan anyway. And so I did talk to Philip, and I'm like, why don't you let me just play with this and see what I can figure out? And so I had the incredible good fortune of having a week of no distractions where I could just play with this stuff and see if I could scope out where we would go, and that was really wonderful. Yeah, you know, you don't think about it, but all the time you spend, I mean, all these gentlemen are are running companies, so you're not just dealing with writing code, you're also dealing with, you know, dealing with employees and making sure that the trash cans are emptied and answering customer email and all that stuff. Having a week to just do nothing but dive into this probably was the best thing you could have done. It was awesome. I was just incredibly lucky. I'm jealous. <laughs> so what did you guys do, Tave? I mean, I, I, I keep thinking about one password with all this because it's like so many of these changes were like thing, little things that could make one password better. And we, t- we already touched on Touch ID. Did you catch how I did that? And um, But also just the ability like, you know, we've always had this problem. Like you want to use good passwords and you're in Safari and then you got to go over to one password and use the one password browser. But also it seems like there's so much potentiality with this stuff for what you guys have. I don't know where you would start. Is that a word, Katie? I'm not sure. No. Well, I just made it one. I just made it one. I I make up words all the time, so I'm going to let it. I'm going to let that slide. (laughs) But no, in terms in terms of how we decided what to implement, to be honest, we just kind of uh, we just kind of jumped in and kind of fought with each other to see who could get it done sooner. We actually had uh, quite a few people at Dub Dub. And, uh, you know, so after the, after the keynote and stuff, you know, we would go to dinner and, you know, meet a bunch of friends and then would, you know, before we knew it, the night was over. And then like the next day we're kind of like, you know, are you going to the sessions? And then like, we got kind of guilted each other into going to the sessions. So we'd all go to the sessions, but then afterwards it was like, okay, now that's it. We got to just start implementing this stuff. And so actually by, you know, Wednesday night, um, you know, Jeff, our, uh, our CEO, he, uh, he had already implemented a proof of concept of Touch ID. And Rusum and I were fighting over the Safari extension on, on who was going to get that done first. <laughs> so much so that we both created one on our own machines. And uh, in Xcode there, when you create a new file, it says, you know, at the top, you know, created by Dave Tier, created by Rusum Karamov. Yeah. And so we kind of had a fight over who got to commit, uh, you know, the the, uh, the first file there. <laughs> the race to the button. So he, he actually beat me. So I had to go edit his file and say, you know, created by Rustam Karamov, but Dave Tiro will never forget that he created it on his machine first. 
<laughs> but yeah, there, there wasn't really much uh, process there other than just, you know, again, we, we were like kids. We, we just wanted to play with this stuff. So we just, we just dived in. I remember we went, uh, we uh, went out with, I went with a geek friend for dinner. You know, I, I, we have a lot of geeks here in Southern California, just a few days after WWC. And we were both talking like, did that just happen? Because I didn't think any of that stuff was ever going to happen. And I can only imagine what it was like for you guys. Now, that's how I felt. Like, sorry, sorry to cut you off there, but uh, there were so many things announced there that I just started forgetting them. Like um, later on in the week, someone started t- t- talking about test flight. And I had totally forgotten that they even announced anything about test flight. You know, if they had test flight a year before, like we would have not been able to stop talking about it. You know, like a thousand thousand people versus, you know, a hundred or 200 devices. Like it was huge for us. And Ken, I could be totally wrong about this, but every time I've had any experience with your company, it's like this well-oiled machine. Like I'll never forget when we did that 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 thing at um in San Francisco a few years ago and you guys had like every piece of this thing like wired down at the uh, <laughs> comic uh, history museum and I'm just thinking so tell me you guys must have just went back and got uh, you know you know opened up you know omniplan and just like set it out and just like drilled straight to the bottom right uh no <laughs> that would have to be a nice nice vision <laughs> no we uh i mean that week obviously we were at WWDC, we're drinking from the fire hose of information that, that is coming all over us. And as uh, as Dave mentioned, there was way too much to take in all at once. Uh, and this was, um, you know, to, to set the background a little bit, we um, just before coming down to WWDC, we had just shipped finished shipping OmniFocus 2 for Mac, which was a pretty big release for us. Uh, so... Uh, so on the one hand, it was good timing in that our plates were clear to be able to start thinking about uh, all of these new extensions and new capabilities and what we could do. Uh, on the other hand, everybody was ready for some vacation after all of that. So, yeah, I bet. Um, so, but we, but we had a good week. Actually, it was, uh, you know, at WWDC, I saw, um, you know, both Dave and Greg and got a chance to sit down with both of them. I think everybody was, uh, was all smiles and pretty excited that week. I, I know I was. Um, you know, Apple gave us, it was like Christmas, right, for developers. <laughs> they gave us some really great tools to start working with and building stuff on. Well, we're going to talk about later what this means for the future, much later in the show. Because I, I think that, you know, when you make a sea change like this, it's it's not necessarily going to just end one year. So I think that this is actually quite exciting for the future of the platform. Uh, before we go there, though, I'd like to take a minute to talk about our first sponsor, and that's Fracture. Uh, Fracture gives your images printed in vivid color directly on glass. Now, I have this problem with pictures. I take pretty good pictures, or at least I'd like to think I do, and I like to put them in my office, in my home. But I have this sticking point, and it's the frames. I get the pictures sent out, and I have them blown up to a nice large size. And then I go to, like, the frame store or to Target or wherever I'm going to go look for frames, and I just get paralyzed. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I know there's rules about whether the frame matches the wall or the frame matches the print. But I'm never really satisfied with it. And at the end of the day, I always feel like the frame kind of takes away from the print. So when I heard about Fracture, I was immediately in. Long before they were a sponsor of the show, I started spending money with these guys. And what they do is you send them a picture file. And they're in Gainesville, Florida, just down the street from my pal Katie Floyd. In fact, Katie's been there, right? Yep. I took a tour of their factory when I was there. So it was great. And this is in the for the iOS geek inside of you, what they do is they print the picture onto the back of a piece of glass. And it's just like how when you look at an iPhone or an iPad and it looks like the app is on the surface of the app, 
you get the same feeling when you do these pictures with fracture. So I, I really love it. And, and the picture is its own frame. You get it back um, and you just hang it on your wall and it looks beautiful. And I've been putting pictures in my office with this. I've got pictures in my home. And uh, I'm, I'm just a big fan of, of what they do. So uh, what they do is they have uh, they ship everything you need to get your photo or digital art right on your wall or your desk, and it's right in the box. And their prices start at just $15 for a 5x5 five five print. Every, every fractured picture is handmade and checked for quality by their team, and they use the thinnest, lightest, and most elegant way to display your favorite photos. Uh, you can order early for holiday delivery, and that's coming up pretty, not, pretty quickly here. So go check them out. It's, the website is uh, www.fractureme.com. Now, uh, they love Mac Power users too, uh, so they've given us a promo code. It's MAC15. That's MAC15. And you get, guess what? 15% off your order. So uh, go check it out. Get yourself some nice pictures. And they also have gift certificates, which is really nice. If you've got a, pho- a photographer in your family, get them a gift certificate so they get some of their prints blown up. And I'm right in the process now of the, you know, the books that I've been making. I got this idea from Mark Arment, who does this with his apps. Because, you know, you make these digital things and you want to have something physical relating to them. I, I can't wait to get them. I'm going to hang them on the wall in my house and feel real proud of myself. So so go check out FractureMe.com. Use the uh, coupon code MAC15. Let them know you heard about it from us. And get yourself some nice pictures. And if, if I can follow up with you for a minute, you know, Omni makes a, a slew of products, both for Mac and iOS, and it seems like OmniFocus was a natural place to start in in terms of moving into extensions for for iOS eight. But did you all? How did you decide? You know, looking at your your wide range of products, this is where we need to devote our attention. This is where we need to go, or, or this is where we're going to devote our resources because you only had such a limited amount of time to get something out the door in order to have it for release on launch day. Right. Well, uh, the, so the, the, that process actually turned out to be a lot simpler than, than okay. you might guess, because we had pulled Omni focus for iPad and Omni Graffle for iPad, uh, off the shelves, you know, virtual shelves out of the app store, um, before the summer began, actually, because we knew that we were approaching OmniFocus 2 and OmniGraffle 2, that we'd be charging money, and that we didn't have a good paid upgrade story. And so we didn't want people to be buying those apps right before we shipped the new apps and be disappointed that they were you know, being asked for money right again, again right away. So we pulled them off the shelves, and we knew we had to uh, you know, focus all of our attention on building those two new apps and getting them out the door. And so when we saw what the you know what the options were there at WWDC, we knew we wanted to take advantage of iOS eight with both of them. So we um, we decided those two were our primary focus for the summer, and everything else, um, you know, anything else that could wait had to wait. And, and that was how we focused our attention. So even the iPhone app, where there is now both of those extensions, made it there, uh, but that's only because they it, we managed to write that code in a way that it ported easily to the iPhone after putting it on the iPad app. Right. And you've done some other interesting things that, although perhaps are not directly related to iOS 8, were, were certainly some developments that have come out of WWDC, and that for the first time now, you're able, and, and Greg, forgive me, I don't know if, if you have jumped on board with this, and, and if so, please feel free to comment as well, but Omni is now um, offering app bundles um, which Apple just announced at WWDC this summer. Um, and then I, I noticed that you were able to do some kind of uh, premium pricing 
with OmniFocus that I hadn't seen before, and I wasn't sure if if Apple introduced that at WWDC or whether that's something that's always been around for a while and I just hadn't noticed it. And and Dave, I noticed in One Password when you switched your pricing structure as well that as a One Password four user, I was able to get all the premium features of One Password five. So I wasn't sure if those were were new features that Apple had introduced to developers or or whether that was just something that not many people had taken advantage of before now. Well, they're certainly new to me. Um, actually, I think they're part of iOS seven actually, but Apple gave the ability to um, validate your receipts. And so you would actually be able to, you know, read in your receipt and see, okay, well, what version did they purchase? You know, how much did they pay? This type of stuff. So we simply um, um, would read this in, examine it, see that, yeah, you you purchased the previous version. And so we just we just gave, unlocked all the pro versions for free. And then, Ken, is, are you doing something similar as well with, with OmniFocus for iPad? Ours is a little bit different in that um, we're shipping it as a, a new app. And so uh, that means people have to buy the new version of the app. But we wanted to give them some kind of a good deal uh, if they did that. We wanted to preserve the, val- the investment that they made in the previous version. So, uh, so we actually started exploring this last year with OmniGraffle 6 on the Mac App Store. Uh, and we started offering people credit for the Pro upgrade based on whether they were already customers of the previous version of the app. So, uh, so now anybody who purchases OmniFocus 2 for iPad or OmniGraffle 2 for iPad, if they were also an owner of OmniGraffle 1 or OmniFocus 1, um, then we will give them a free upgrade from, uh, from standard to pro. And you know, in OmniGraffle's case, that's a $50 value. So it you know, preserves the, the full investment they made in the first version of the app. You know, you know, Ken, I thought I'd never seen that before. And I thought that was the most rational type of upgrade pricing possible in the current environment. I, I've never seen anybody do that before. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> we're, you know, we're really glad that it, uh, that it has worked out that way. We, you know, we weren't sure whether Apple would approve it because we hadn't seen, you know, yeah, quite I was that wondering that too. To either. <laughs> and we had tried several different things to offer people discounts before we yeah. found one that, that they were happy with. So, um, so yeah, we're happy about that. I, we, you know, in our, my ideal world would be able to offer some sort of credit to people who didn't want pro either. But, um, but given that we have no way to give um, discounts on the initial purchase, I think I think we're in a pretty good place now. And you know, really one thing I'd like to talk about, um, and maybe Ken, you're the guy to ask this question. Is it seems to me that you know, going back to the beginning of the show, I was talking about the iOS seven versus iOS eight. Um, iOS seven, I believe, for all three of your companies, led to a significant amount of work in terms of kind of changing the look and feel of your various applications, given you know, kind of the new the new medium that Apple was presenting to everyone. And then this year you've got all this under the hood stuff. Would it have even been possible to change both of those things last year? We wouldn't have had time to update all five of our apps last year. Let's put it that way. Um, I don't know about uh, where you guys were at with your apps. I mean, what do you think, Greg? Oh, I think it would have been completely impossible. It just would have been too much to take on. I mean, I think we're fortunate because I think it would have been likewise impossible for Apple to accomplish that. Yeah, that's true. That's true. (laughs) So, so we're fortunate that there's something of a natural limit to what Apple can manage to do. Although, you know, wow, I got to say with uh, what they managed to do in advance of this summer, I'm quite impressed. Yeah. And you always have to wonder how much of that stuff has been, they've been baking that stuff for several years and they're finally kind of taking the wraps off some of it. But I'm with you. I, I don't think it would have been possible 
if they had released all this at once for the app developers to really respond the way they have. As things work, you know, we had the iOS 7 clock to kind of get the apps with the new look, and now we've got the iOS 8 to get things developed with the extensions and all this great stuff. And honestly, I think we're just at the very beginning of this stuff. I, I have been – I'm more excited about iOS now than I have ever been in my life uh, with the possible exception of when they first opened the App Store. Well, and let's not forget, not only do we have that going on, we also have Yosemite right around the corner with its new What's looking Yosemite? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Yeah, and that's that's one of the limitations, I guess, is it must be difficult when you're developing applications because um, all three of you are doing apps on both platforms. And so you've got kind of a moving target. We're not getting the upgrade to the Mac operating system. At the same time, we're getting the upgrade to the iOS platform, and that must cause some headaches for you. It's It's been pretty tricky on our side. I know for iOS 7, we were actually a few months late with our iOS 7 redesign just because we needed to deliver Mac first. And then we yeah. got our iOS 7 design. And then this year, we tried to clean off all our plate, like, like have nothing on our plates going into DubDub. And, you know, Apple delivered. And so we're like, we had, you know, we could just choose what, what we're going to work on. And uh, we we um, we didn't know which one was coming first, right? Yosemite or, or iOS. So we just, luckily, our team's a bit bigger now. So we just worked on both. And with 1Password, though, that's one of the challenges is Apple has really fundamentally changed iCloud. And and you guys had this great iCloud sync, but now there's some people on an operating system that hasn't been released yet, and there's some people on the older operating system. And getting the sync for 1Password to work with iCloud um, when you've got different versions of the operating system out there, it must just be putting your customer support people in fits. Well, it is. Um, I, I try to look at it in a different way just to uh, keep myself in a good mood. But Apple gave us this gift of, of CloudKit, and I, I really mean it's a gift. It, like it, it's really well thought out. It's it's you know I'm I'm very happy with this API, and yeah. so we were just like you know what we can, you know we're going to have support issues regardless because if if we use, if we stay on the old technology but people upgrade to iCloud Drive, they're going to be contacting us because their data is not going to be syncing. So we yeah. figured. If we're going to get the support anyways, we might as well get we might as well do what we want to do, which is you know use the latest and greatest technology. So we um, we rewrote everything to use CloudKit, and again, it's it's working very well. Um, but we now have Yosemite hasn't shipped yet, and yeah. you need Yosemite to, to sync with with CloudKit. So it's it you know it's a tough couple of weeks here, but basically right now with uh, with iCloud or CloudKit, we can only sync between iOS devices. And we just have to wait for OS ten to be released. Yeah. And I don't think that's very far off. Um, well, so, that's what I keep on telling my support staff. <laughs> I, I just, tell. I think we, it's just crazy that Apple has put us in this this weird no man's land situation. Though I I don't know what the alternative was, but. Hmm. I think if you were going to have these revolutionary changes to iCloud, and boy, I'm knocking on wood when I say that because I really hope they deliver. We really need them to. Um, but it's just I, I don't think it's un unfair to say, okay, well, give us a month or so of, of uh, awkward period while we get everything sorted out. Um, if it was six months, that would be a different story. Uh, I just We just uh, heard from a listener recently who was saying, well, what do I do with 1Password? I said, well, if, if it's causing trouble, just switch over to Dropbox for a month and then you know it'll sort out when they get it, when Apple ships Yosemite. 
each sync solution has like their own benefits, right? And, and yeah. iCloud's just amazing because you've already configured it on your device. You know, it's just basically a radio button. You just you know tap it on and, and you're done. And um, you know, you, you really can't compete with that. So I'm like I'm I'm really happy with what uh, with what Apple's offering there. But as you say, we're currently in this bit of a awkward adolescent stage where you know some things have shipped and the other parts haven't. So. Well, and Ken's, o- Ken's over there looking at the omnipresence page and just smiling. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> let's, let's stay well, on that topic a, a little bit about support issues. And um, Greg, I, I know that you recently, in fact, today, although we're, we're recording this a little advance of its release date, um, put a blog post up on this on the Smile site ad- addressing what I'm guessing is is one of your most frequent uh, concerns. But um, th- there's there's I know we've gotten a lot of questions from Mac Power users, listeners about okay, I love the idea of a, a text expander keyboard, but but wait a minute, I've read this stuff on the internet about how text expander is reading all of my information and and selling it to the NSA. I think is is you know the the last that I've heard. And so I'm I'm, I'm kidding, of course, folks. But um, you know, Greg, tell us a, a little bit about that. Because there's there's been a little bit of fear out there about well if if I've got all these great extensions especially something like a keyboard what is it doing? Sure. Well, there's a fairly ominous dialogue that you get when you're asked to enable full access for a keyboard. Dun, yeah, that, dun, fact, dun. Um, it should Greg, come with music. <laughs> Greg, let me just say that dialogue box is just one more reason why I hate lawyers. <laughs> well, at any rate, the, it's it's accurate but ominous. And so, um, you know, it basically says something along the lines of your, you know, a custom keyboard can capture any and all of your data, including your credit card and your home address. Um, and, you know, this is true. Uh, it's also true that all pre-iOS 8 apps could do exactly the same thing. Um, and so uh, what's new in iOS 8 is that you're actually allowed to limit access for a custom keyboard, um, and that full access is off by default. So uh, a custom keyboard is limited. And the challenge for us is that there are things that we need the access in order to do. First and foremost is to share the snippet data with the Texas Manor Touch app so that you can manage your groups and uh, set, set up your snippets, which really you wouldn't want to do through the very limited keyboard interface. Um, and so that's the big thing. The other interesting one is you can't play sounds if you don't have full access either. Uh, I'm not sure the the details on on why that's so, but it's true. Well, it's just and not text so, expander without the sound. Right, exactly. Well, I mean, people might want key clicks uh, just as you know audible feedback, but certainly the expansion sound is uh, you know a key part of our brand. I'd say. Craig, Craig can and, I interrupt uh, for one second? Where did you get that sound? The sound was done by Peter Maurer, actually. So the original author of Text Pander, uh, which is yeah. the product before we acquired it in May of 2006. Please never change it. It just makes me smile every time I hear it. <laughs> yes. No, I, we have no no intentions of changing it. Um, and so, no, we're quite happy with it. Uh, so, you know, full access uh, it scares people. Um, and it's understandable that it would. But I think that it's incumbent upon a keyboard vendor just to be upfront with users about what are we doing with the information and why, um, and what aren't we doing. And so, you know, we tell users that we need full access in order to uh, allow them to manage their snippets and in order to play sounds, uh, and that we also do not make access to the network from the Texas Pinner keyboard uh, at all. We just don't do that. We don't need to. And so, you know, it's something that would cause people concern and there's no reason for it. And so, so Smile says, look, we're not sending anything to a server 
we're only tracking enough keys to see if you fired off a snippet and then we dump it. That's, is that a fair summary? Yes, that's correct. And so I think a great idea, in fact, going in, because we're in such early days with all this stuff. In fact, I thought about for a minute just putting up a web page that would just have the, the policy for each major third-party keyboard. But I don't have enough time. I'm sure somebody out there is going to do it at some point. But I think the keyboard vendors should really step up and all do this. It would be a great idea because I definitely want third-party keyboards, but I also want a clear understanding of of how much data they need. I mean, if and I, I can think of scenarios where with very good reason people would want to send the stuff to a server so they could analyze it to figure out what your next word is or whatever. Um and there may be uh, cases where I'm willing to do that. Probably not, though. <laughs> and um, I just want to know who you know who's using what technologies. I could also see where they could just track your your keystrokes long enough internally within their own app to make the prediction, and they don't need to send it to a server. And and that kind of information I think is really helpful. So, Greg, thanks for sharing that uh, with the community. Sure. Thanks um, for asking. What about security in general? Did um, uh, Dave, did you guys have any uh, concerns about this kind of new, you know, openness uh, with respect to security with your application? Because it's such, you know, security is such an inherent part of 1Password. Yeah, you you always need to think about that. But I was never really worried about it. Like Apple tends to be extremely um, protective of uh, of their users. And they roll things out, you know, a lot of people say way too slowly, but they tend to roll things out slowly just because they want to make sure they can, um, you know, make sure things are done in a, you know, a secure manner. Um, like custom keyboards, for instance, our one password, like our new version five, doesn't doesn't limit custom keyboards at all. We just we just allow them um, because by default, well, no, actually not just by default, but they're not allowed to touch secure uh, password fields at all. Um, and Apple does a lot of things of, of limiting these things and sandboxing them, but there's still the perception of, of you know things that could go wrong there. So I'm, I'm probably going to relent. And I, there's a couple of uh, really passionate uh, users that I have talking to me right now about custom keyboards, and I'm probably just going to add an option just to uh, just to disable them. Um, the question is what the default's going to be. I haven't quite figured that one out yet. I'll probably talk to Greg a little bit more about that after the show. Um, but for, for the most part, there, there's been very little worries on the security front. It's, it's been more just the excitement on, on being more open and, you know, being able to use your app in, in more ways. Well, I want to talk a little bit more about your experience thus far, what's been good, what's been bad, what's been frustrating, and, and what some of your listeners have been saying after, you know, having used some of your products for the first I, almost a week now. Uh, but before we go there, I, I do want to take a quick break and, and talk about our next sponsor for this episode. And David actually let me talk about this sponsor this episode. I'm so excited. And that is Harry's. So... I want to specifically talk to the ladies out there for a moment. I know I've got a podcast full of guys here, but, you know, Harry's is not just for men out there. Harry's is for women, too, because I've got to tell you, I was a little jealous of all the men in my life who were out there, you know, ordering their Harry's razors and telling me that they used our Mac Power users coupon and what a great experience they had and how much they liked it. And honestly, I was starting to feel a little bit left out. Um, David, you were telling me my dad went out and orders a Harry's razor. My brother went out and ordered a Harry's razor. I mean, it was it was just getting out there. So 
I decided that I was going to go out and order a Harry's razors because, you know, it's no surprise that, that women shave too. And for years, here, here's a little secret, most women actually end up using men's razors because women's razors are not that great. Uh, and let me tell you, I am a convert as well. So Harry's makes their own blades. Um, they like the blades so much that they actually purchased the factory in Germany. They are high quality, uh, very reasonably priced. Um, and, and so you can go buy a Harry's razor, a couple of blades, and, you know, for kind of actually, honestly, less than what a pack of blades will cost you at a regular drugstore. Um, they will give you a high quality shave that's, um, you know, probably better than anything you've ever been using before. And it's, it's half the price or less than something that you'll go buy anywhere else. So their starter set, which is what I got, I got the white one, by the way, um, is an amazing deal. For 15 bucks, you get a razor, you get a moisturizing shave cream, and you get three blades. Uh, but you can also upgrade uh, and, and go up from there and buy some additional razors or buy a stainless steel version or, or get it engraved uh, with your initial. Uh, you know, the possibilities are just endless. So, you know, why would you go out and pay 30 or 40 bucks for an eight pack of razors when they're less than that at, at Harry's? So go check them out for men or for women either. Uh, and at uh, harrys.com, that's H-A-R-R-Y-S.com. And if you enter coupon code MACPOWER, M-A-C-P-O-W-E-R, at checkout, they'll give you five bucks off. So that $15 shave set, you can get it for only 10 How can you not do that? That's less than a couple of blades will cost you at the store. So go check them out at harrys.com, H-A-R-R-Y-S.com. And thanks to them for continuing to support our show. Okay, so you guys got back from WWDC. You, you um, recovered from all the festivities. You got your teams working on this new software. Uh, at, was there any point where you said, "Oh, maybe this isn't as great as I thought it was going to be," or was there, you know, at, what was the big surprises for you as you dug in deeper on this stuff? How, how about you, Greg? Uh, for us, the big challenge is the blank slate challenge. So, uh, a custom keyboard really just gets the the view at the bottom of the screen, and that's it. Uh, it's required to implement a next keyboard button, and then you know there are a number of limitations uh, in terms of what it can and cannot do. Uh, all that it can really do is uh, input text, uh, essentially backspace, and uh, it can position the cursor uh, plus or minus to where it is. Uh, but it knows nothing. It knows very little about what's around it except a few words, and it's just. It's really a very, very constrained environment in which to work. It's like the non-user interface inter- interface. <laughs> yeah, so so just everything from scratch. I mean, we we were very pleased with the system keyboard, and so you know, if we could have melded aspects of of Text Expander into it, that would have been fantastic. And and in fact, in a way, we do that with the Text Expander Touch SDK. But uh, you know, this time it was about working from scratch, and so I think that was probably the biggest challenge. The other challenge was just that again, you know, the beta moved along as we were moving along, and you know, the, there's always some blood involved when that happens. Yeah, I, I don't want you to get in uh, to, to go outside whatever your developer agreement is, but there's a couple little things about keyboards that you could probably help us out with. One is, I hear repeatedly from people say, "Well, I want to use Siri. I want my little microphone button," and I notice that doesn't appear in any of the third-party um, uh, keyboards. Is that something that they just won't let you put in? That's right. Well, in fact, it's broader than just custom keyboards. Extensions have no access to the microphone, period. Yeah. 
Yeah. So uh, <laughs> that, that that precludes dictation. And the other thing I would like to see them do, and I think this is totally on Apple's back, is um, right now I'm testing several. So I've, I actually have to cycle through. Like It's like changing channels on the remote control, you know? And yes. so it would be nice if they had a way you could like hold down the keyboard selection button and, and get a popover or something. I don't know what really the answer I think, is. I think we have the bug for that. Like, in other words, it didn't get closed as a duplicate and we filed it pretty early in the game. So, oh, really? Um, yeah. The, please, please give us a way to tap and hold to change the keyboard. Uh, is it, you know, it's definitely been reported. And so it's, you know, let's keep our fingers yeah, crossed. Yeah, I know the users out there are really asking for that. But it, it really... Um, Overall, I have to say, for the you know the first time out of the gate, the the third party keyboard support feels pretty solid to me. Yes, no, I think it all worked out pretty well in the end and across the board, and I think that the architecture that that Apple built for it is is holding up quite well. How about you, Ken? Did you run into any moments in the process that that caught you off guard? Oh well, there are certainly some you know, limitations that that we quickly noticed, like uh, you know, when we were building the Today extension where. You can currently see um, status from your app. Um, we, we were initially thinking, oh, wouldn't it be nice to add a little capture widget there so you could just add something there as well on the fly, kind of like we do the quick entry on the Mac. Yeah, um, that would have been great. <laughs> <laughs> but you have no keyboard access from those extensions. Um, oh, really? Explicitly. So uh, so we can add a... Uh, I see Evernote has a little button that you can tap that just launches Evernote and brings up the screen. And, and that's a good idea. So we should probably go ahead and do something along those lines. But um, but the initial thought of, oh, okay, well, we'll just... Um, Put a text field in and let them go crazy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, or um, you know, oh, there's yes, also please. a vertical pixel limit there. And so we can't put too much information in there all at once unless we want to make the font really tiny. Yeah, we're, we're, it's <laughs> really... I think it's an interesting... This whole um, you know widget today view... To me, because I, I am just completely absorbed. I spent the whole weekend installing apps that had widgets just to see what they looked like and how people are implementing them. And I quickly realized that if you have too many and you've got to scroll through it, it really isn't that much of a time saver to you. I mean, yeah, I think no. that the, <laughs> the trick is going to be getting it down to just the bare, you know, key apps. And obviously, in my case, OmniFocus is one of those. But but you know, I think as d- developers, one of the tricks is going to be to take as little vertical space as possible, so so users want to keep you on that list. Right. So it's really a challenge. Yeah, the I don't want to call anybody oh. out, but I saw one app. It was a weather app that wanted to put a video forecast in my today view. I'm like, excuse me, uninstall. <laughs> Our biggest limitation, of course, was just that we only had a few months to work in. So, yeah, the time limitation meant. Um, there were a lot of things that we wanted to do and we thought of, um, that we just haven't had time to do yet. So fortunately, you know, there's still time after it shipped, but (laughs) yeah. And and I think in a big picture way, as I guess you'd call me a member of the press on this, uh, I, I understood iOS eight, but I always felt like iOS eight, um, was a lot of cake with no icing on it while we were going through the betas because, all the developers were were busily working on these apps that were taking advantage of these extensions. And it's only since the operating system has really shipped that we're really seeing a, the light of day with a lot of these the frosting on this stuff. And I'm sure as developers, you guys are learning tons from your users as this stuff goes into the wild and people give you feedback. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, like all sorts of other things that people would like to configure that today extension to show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and that's going to be a challenge figuring out, you know, like Dave was talking about earlier, 
Yeah, what's a preference and and what's the default behavior? Because you know you want it to work, and probably those are hard decisions to make. How about you, Dave? Have you guys had um, interesting feedback from users now that the stuff is out there? Oh, for sure, for sure. Um, we uh, like our, our Safari extension seems to work really, you know, quite naturally. You you tap share and then you you select one password and, and like it's very natural. Um, we've also um, added a. Um, we, we allow other apps to integrate with us as well. So it doesn't just have to be Safari, but you can have, you know, like Slack, for instance, they, they added one password to their login screen. And, you know, there's actually a, um, you, you, you'll see the one password icon there, you tap on it, it brings up the share sheet, but then you have to select one password again. So a lot of users have been confused about that. Like, well, I've just tapped on one password. Why, why do I need to tap on it again? But that's just simply the way the, uh, the uh, action extensions work. Um, yeah. So like that, that's that's one of the radars we've opened with Apple, trying to you know hope that uh, we can find a way to get rid of that extra that extra tap there. You know, I this is time for me to make a public confession. You know, I am a geek. I'll admit it. I'm not as you know I I'm not a programmer like some of the smart people on the show, but I, I am a geek. I I really never got my um, got real excited about URL extensions, which is you know the way that we share data in iOS before. It always felt hacky to me. And it always felt like a lot of work. And and I think that's probably why I'm so excited about iOS 8 is in a lot of ways it wipes out that stuff. And it, it's not so hacky. And now everything just plugs in. I mean, the first time I went to an app that said, well, you want to pull your password out of one password? And the application goes and yanks it out of your app for me. I don't have to do this silly copy-paste nonsense anymore. I'm like, you know, this is this is great. This is the exactly what we needed. Yeah, the security hair goes up on the back of my neck when I when you describe it the way you just did. Um, yeah, technically the app hands it off to us, and we yeah. and we you know we're the ones decrypting your data and and you know getting your master password and these types of things. But yeah, then we just pass the data back to the app and um, let let them do with it what they will. Um, yeah, most of the times, of course, it's just filling in the username and password. But but, but you know, in a lot of ways, that's safer because I I can tell you I have before like gone to paste something in a document and it pastes a password in yes have you you know because yeah. once you put that stuff in your copy buffer it's there and um yeah, i there, love the idea there's of that button where that. you can make the coffee copy buffer timeout yeah i know i know but okay it depends on your timeout right yeah that's exactly. true in fact it got me today on the opposite side because i had i had copied the uh the license for audio hijack pro i copied it to my clipboard and then i you know, by the time I downloaded it and, and went to the license screen, my clipboard had cleared. So it's kind of, you know, I got a love-hate relationship with that with that feature. <laughs> well, at least you can always go back and get it. Yeah. Yeah, you're pretty familiar with how that app works, right? You want any help? Well, there's, there's, a, there's a really good support team that helps me out when I get confused. So, you know, so I'm okay there. I, I'd like to talk about these new iPhones and the impact they'll have on on what you guys are doing in the future. Because not only did we get this great iOS eight, now we've got this this crazy uh, you know multiple screens. All of a sudden, the iPhone is no longer locked down to a pixel by pixel device. Uh, before we do that, though, I'd, I'd like to just take a moment and talk about our last sponsor, and that's our friends over at Drobo, the world's easiest to use storage array. 
I've had my Drobo for a long time. In fact, I had the first generation Drobo. I, I got it the year I went to Macworld and they were playing movies on the Drobo and the guy would callously open up the box and just yank out a drive. And as soon as I saw him do that and the video kept playing, I said, where do you take my money? I need one of these. And I've had it this, this Drobo on my desk for years. Uh, they've been up creating the Drobo. And as you know, they have multiple products. They have the 5N if you want to put it on your network, and they've got the 5D if you're like a video guy and you kind of need this super powerful machine. Uh, but, the, you know, the the basic Drobo is the standard Drobo has been uh, iterating over generations, and now they're out with the third generation Drobo. And I just got one upgraded, upgraded my original Drobo to the third generation Drobo. And you know what I like about this most, Katie, is that when I got the device, I, I actually... Um, I called a friend of ours at Drobo and I said, well, I think maybe um, I'll, you know, I'm not sure. Do I need to go buy new drives so I can transfer the data? And he says, no, just this is what you do. He says, you open the old one. I said, okay, I got that. And he said, take out the drives, the old one, and put it in the drives of the new one and then turn it on. And I didn't believe him. I'm like, well, wait a second. This is like a third generation to first generation. You can't just use the same drive. He says, no, you can. I did it and it worked. I didn't have to do anything different. I mean, can you imagine a, a hardware company making these arrays that uh, that can get a new device that's years older, I mean, years newer than the older device, and you just move the drives over? I don't know. That, to me, was impressive. So uh, you can upgrade your Drobo, and it's a lot faster now. They've added some some nice uh, stuff under the hood. They put in a new processor. Um, it's three to five times speed improvement. It's got an SSD on it, so it can save memory if you have power failures. And it's a lot cheaper than the other devices. I mean, they've gone down in price. And um, not only are they cheaper because they've lowered the price on this to match customer needs, you can even save more money if you use our discount code. And so it's $50 off for any Mac Power users, listeners. And the code is MPU50, MPU50, for that 50 bucks you're going to get. So it's 30% less than the second generation Drobo. And that's before you use that code. So go check it out. It's a USB 3.0 interface, very fast. It's got the nice, uh, faster dual-core processor, three to five times faster. And it holds four. it's got four bays. You can put up to four drives in it. And uh, now you can get it for just $349, and that's before the $50 off. It's optimized for Time Machine. So if you've got a Time Machine you want to set up on your device, you can get it set up right there. Um, uh, because Time Machine can grow, you can actually put a limit on how big it's going to get so that doesn't take up all your Drobo space. And it's protected by power failures. It has that internal battery and small SSD cache to store data being written to the device in the event of a power failure. Uh, so check it out. Make sure to use our code MPU50 and get yourself a new Drobo. If you've got an older one, this is the time to upgrade. You're going to be a lot faster, and you're not even going to have to buy a new drive. Just swap them right over. Thanks, Jeff and the gang, for supporting us at Mac Power Users, and everybody go get yourself a Drobo. So I, I want to take a quick survey. Who on this call got a new iPhone this past weekend, and, and what did you get? <laughs> I got an iPhone 6. Plus or just regular? Just regular. Just regular. Okay. I had an iPhone 6 Plus delivered to my house, and I stood in line for, I think, close to 12 hours to get uh, to get three iPhone 6s for my family. Oh, what that's a nice dedication. dad. What a nice dad. No, no, not, no, nice son. Nice son. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, see, my, my kids just get last year's phone. It just gets pushed down to them. 
Yeah, but my parents are older. Yeah, <laughs> no, I get so it. I, That's like great. the Zoom feature on is so nice. So you know, it's, it's made for you know, like it's going to work really well for them. So did you get them the pluses or the standard six? I don't know why they they didn't want the plus. They they like the six. Okay, so I was surprised. How about, you, how about you, Greg? I have very small hands. Okay, therefore, until I can touch one, I I'm not even in the running for an iPhone six, and certainly not a six plus. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And so Katie, I, you got you got your six already, right? Holding it in my hot little hands right now. I don't know how yeah. Greg's living without his. I'm really happy with my 5S for now. I know it makes you total iconoclast, I, but still. I, I tell you, Greg, my my first, and, and I'm on an every other upgrade cycle, so I didn't get the 5S, and and I this is I won't get whatever the next one is, and so this is this is my time to splurge because I only upgrade when I'm in contract. But my first impressions of the iPhone six six was like, oh, I don't know about this size because I thought even the six was big, but. Now that I've been playing with it for a, a couple of days, I kind of like the bigger screen, and it's 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 still a little awkward. I'm finding it awkward to hold in my hand and to put in my pocket, and I'm very afraid that I'm going to drop it. I may get a case, even though I really don't want to. But uh, anyway, I digress. the The point that I wanted to bring in all that is um, apparently present company accepted. Although, Dave, I know you got the six plus. Is that I've heard a lot of developers um, are have a, even though they may not personally be interested in the iPhone six plus. Have a have a lot of development interest in the iPhone six plus because of what it brings in terms of of UI design. So I, I wanted to to shift gears a little bit for that because although certainly new phones were or new size phones were rumored, and Apple, how shall we say, strongly encouraged uh, developers to take advantage of auto layout uh, and adjustable layouts in, in in iOS eight. Not everybody heeded that that call yet. Um, what they kind of sprung on us, though, with the introduction of the, the iPhone just a couple of weeks ago was that, um, hey, there's going to be new keyboard layouts. Greg, I don't know if that's going to impact you. And on the iPhone uh, 6 Plus, it's going to have a totally different layout uh, option if you turn it in landscape mode. So uh, what are your thoughts on on updating apps or optimizing or designing for both the iPhone 6 and the 6 Plus? And whoever wants to take that. <laughs> I'll jump in. Um, so the uh, the six plus really looks like a great size for uh, for being able to run Omni um, productivity apps, right? Being able to use earlier iPhones, I really couldn't imagine somebody um, spending a lot of time in OmniGraffle diagramming something, for example. But uh, but this size, I certainly can. Uh, I can imagine people also wanting to use the landscape sort of review mode of OmniFocus or. Um, using Omni Outliner on that device, or um, or Omni Plan, really. So it, it it now does have enough space and certainly enough pixels that uh, that you can do a lot more things on it. Uh, one of the sort of awkward things from our standpoint is that the iPhone six Plus is categorized as an iPhone, not an iPad. So if you're building software and you decide you want to be able to sell it for the iPhone six Plus, you're going to be enabling it for all iPhones. So really, that means we have to figure out how to scale it all the way down to the smallest available iPhones, not just the 6 Plus. Uh, yeah, that's difficult. I mean, I can see the the problem there because I don't know how how those apps would work on those smaller screens. So I don't know whether people, I mean, I guess the answer is we'll, we'll scale it and we'll make it available and then we'll kind of see, uh, you know, it may be that nobody with a smaller phone wants to buy it and that's okay, right? They don't 
don't need to buy something that's not useful to them. But uh, but at least then it's available to everyone. And I know we have had a lot of requests over the years for Omni Outliner in particular on the iPhone. I, that's one of the things I actually thought about during the keynote um, was uh, both uh, Omni Outliner uh, and OmniGraffle, frankly, looking at that, because those are two apps I use quite often, and it's a sticking point for me that they're not on the phone. And I understand why they're not there, but seeing that bigger screen. I mean, now, Dave, didn't you get the 6 Plus? Didn't you say you got the 6 Plus? I got the 6 Plus for testing. I um, I, yeah. just, I personally find it too big. Like, I just I just can't carry that around in my pocket. It's just, it's just too big. That's what everybody's saying. I don't know if it makes sense or not. I ordered one because I'm a geek and I just wanted to see, you know, I, I want to see what this is about. Everybody keeps talking about these big phablets and, and after making fun of them for so long, I feel like I have to at least try it. And I, I get a two week period. So I guess if I'm really miserable, I can turn it in and get the smaller one, but I, I don't I'm, think it will be like, it's a really nice device. Um, it's just, you know, obviously I don't need two, but I plan on giving one to, uh, giving one to Jack just so he doesn't have to carry around like a big iPad on planes and stuff like that. He can just take like the six plus, um, you know, I, and for me, you know, it's, it's nice cause I, I need it for testing anyway. So it's, you know, well, in my case, there's a lot of circumstances where I am at places, um, where I don't have easy access to an iPad and a, and a bigger phone could be quite useful. But I, I, like I said, it's just, I, I don't even have mine yet. It hasn't been shipped to me yet. I'm getting it later this week. So I don't know what I'm going to think about it, but it, it, it must be really challenging uh, for developers because for so long we had the situation on the the iPhone where there was one size and all you had to do is make your app, you know, pixel perfect on one size. And now uh, we're in a situation where there's multiple devices and who knows if this is the end of things. I mean, we're going to get new iPad announcements soon and who knows if they don't have different sizes then. There's all sorts of crazy rumors about supersized iPads and you know, we know that there's a small watch in the work. So it, it's going to be really fascinating to see how this all works. I, I think it makes it harder for developers like me, like old timers who just love to hard code stuff. You know, like how many pixels is this going to be? You know, that's how my mindset works. Yeah. But thankfully, we got, you know, some younger kids on the team who uh, have embraced the new world of auto layout and all these types of things. Well, well, one one of the reasons I like the three of you so much is that both all three of you have a very unique aesthetic to your applications. I mean, I know that you've got professional designers working for you, all three, and and your apps have a distinct look and feel. And the fact that you've been able to develop that before all this happened, I think makes it a lot easier for you to be adaptive as these new sizes show up. What do you think about that, Greg? Oh, let's hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Am I an optimist? <laughs> it's certainly a lot. No, I, 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 I appreciate the optimism. Sorry, Ken, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think it's a lot easier now with the iOS 7 design aesthetic than it would have been with the iOS 6 design aesthetic. If we wanted to try to make that scalable, that would have been... Yeah. <laughs> you mean like big bubbly yeah, buttons? That. Yeah, that wouldn't have worked. <laughs> well, you know, it, it, it's funny because a lot of people complained about iOS 7 saying it was too simple. And now that the penny is dropping with these different sizes and the phone and I'm sorry, the watch and all this other stuff, you know, it almost sounds like these guys had, had planned this out. Yeah, it's funny how that works, isn't it? <laughs> I think they uh, they tend Anybody to have plans that, to that go out for a, uh, several more Apple years watch? than anything we ever hear about, and sometimes their plans don't always pan out. So that uh, leads to some interesting directions too. But um, 
Uh, before, you know, I, I've got a few follow-up at the, at the end questions, but I, I wanted to take an opportunity. You know, we've got, we've got the three of you here, and, and I know that you all know each other and, and, and see each other socially at WWDC and things like that. But, you know, I feel like David and I have, have really led this discussion and all, but, but what all do you want to talk about or, or what questions do you have for each other or, or what experiences w- would you like to share? Is, is there anything that, that we haven't talked about or, or even that you would, would like to discuss with, with each other that, that you wouldn't mind sharing with our audience? I guess uh, the grass is always greener on the other side, but I have to ask, you know, Ken, how he makes it look so easy with so many products. We're just, you know, we barely made the release date here for, uh, and we only have one. <laughs> well, bear in mind that last year we, or last year we didn't, didn't make the release date for two of our apps, right? We did, we did ship three of our apps on day one, but then uh, two of our apps kind of sat on hold until the end of the summer. So, uh, so people have been pretty impatient for for uh, those updates, and we're glad they're finally out. But um, part of it, I guess, is is we uh, we decided to just focus on these things, even though there were a lot of other things that we were also trying to do, like uh, continuing updates on the Mac version of OmniFocus and so on. Um, so much of it feels iterative to me, and and the, all three of you have been involved on both the Mac and iOS kind of since for a long time. I and mean, Ken, your company goes back to Next, and um, and I think so much of the ability to produce great things is is building upon all this tradition and history and and time you've spent on these things over the years. I mean, OmniFocus two didn't come out of a vacuum; it came out of years of experience of updating the first version and, and getting user feedback and finding where the friction points were and, and, you know, attacking those. You couldn't have done that from scratch. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. All of, all of our work is, I think, iterative. And that's one of the f- great things about building software is you get the chance to go back and, uh, and revisit, you know, some of the design decisions you made the first time around and build a better product. Uh, and I know watching, uh, Watching everybody else's, uh, you know, Dave and Craig's products as well. They've iterated a lot over the years, and and they just keep getting better and better too. Text Expander Touch actually owes a portion of its existence to Dave. Uh, so we we were hosting a party at WWDC at which Dave and Rustam were in attendance, and Philip, Gene, and I were sitting around talking to them both. And they said, "Okay, now that iOS three has copy, when is Text Expander coming to the iPhone?" And we kind of looked at each other sheepishly and we're like, well, I, I, I don't know. And they said, okay, either you're doing it or we are. And I think that they were kind of serious. It was a little <laughs> scary. So it's, you know, sometimes it's not just iteration. It's you get a nice little jolt where uh, you weren't expecting one. And uh, that certainly pushed Taxi Spinner Touch into life well faster than it might have happened otherwise. The all-seeing eye of Dave Tear. <laughs> we're, we're so happy you did that, Greg, because otherwise we would have, and, uh, you know, I, I feel we don't have enough focus already, you know, <laughs> and so if we had, like, you know, more products that we're supporting, it would be, uh, you know, I'm not sure I would be as, you know, calm and collective as Ken. So it worked out well in the end. And the other thing that's kind of fun here is is being able to, I mean, this is, in, in a sense, um, I mean, I don't know if I want to call it a victory lap, but it sort of is because, you know, all three of us have been working against limits uh, that we couldn't do anything about, really. I mean, we could do our best to work around, but, uh, you know, they're beyond our control. And all of a sudden this summer, those limits just 
for the most part, went away. And this is just a really neat world to be in right now. And just think about all the resources all three of your companies have spent trying to get around those limits in the past. And now you don't have to do that anymore. And you can spend those resources just making your stuff better. Yes, that's exciting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you were talking about URL schemes and all these types of things there, David. And uh, yeah. yeah, we we had been looking at those and we had like a fairly, well, actually a quite large project planned on how to how to get 1Password integration with other apps. And it was going to take us a long time. And then Apple comes along and gives us a couple of candies here. And, uh, you know, it, it, it knocked months off our project schedule. So yeah. it was really nice. Well, even as a user, I mean, my, you know, my little niche of this world is, is trying to help, you know, people who aren't programmers get more out of their devices. And I've been struggling with URL schemes and how do we educate our listeners about it and how do we make it something practical where, you know, I don't want to give somebody a tip that's going to take them 30 minutes to implement and save them, you know, 30 seconds over the lifetime of their device. I mean, and and some of this stuff felt that way to me. And and now, though, it's just the opposite. There's these very easily implemented shortcuts and extensions that can make your you more productive on these devices. I mean, it's really just changing on the iPad. It's totally changing my attitude towards it as an even more of a laptop replacement in a lot of contexts that it wouldn't have been before. And And I guess that's maybe towards the end of this conversation. I'd like to follow up with that piece of it. I mean, as we record this, iOS 8 has been out a week, and the show is going up uh, this weekend, so it'll be a week and a half. Um, There are remarkable app developers, yourselves included, doing things we're seeing every day now that I didn't think possible a few months ago. And this is with this update. And I think Apple is not going to take its foot off the gas on this stuff. I think they're going to continue to try and make this stuff better. I mean, where do you guys see this stuff going? Let's start with you, Ken. Yeah, well, clearly they've built a framework now for, um, you know, how do they want to preserve the security model that they've always uh, felt was very important to the iPhone, uh, you know, to protect the customers, uh, while at the same time enabling us as developers to be able to provide more functionality the customers want. Uh, And now that they have this model, they can roll it out in more places and do more things like right now there still isn't there aren't any spotlight extensions for example right Um, but you can certainly imagine that you'd want to be able to uh, search your device uh, and not just find stuff from your contacts and mail and uh, and whatever but also uh, find stuff from your OmniFocus database and it would be uh, you know now that they have this model in place I think that's a relatively trivial thing for them to add without um, having to reinvent everything and they have an interface. If you look at notifications, there's no reason you couldn't have a similar. I'm not sorry, not, a, not the today view. The you know you have an edit button at the bottom, and you elect which applications go into spotlight. Yeah, absolutely. So it's not it's not a hard direction from uh, from here to there. I think it's just uh, like us. They didn't, they only had time to bite off so many things at once. Yeah, yeah. I think Siri is another one. I think hopefully someday we'll be able to have more direct access to Siri. Oh, that would be great. Uh, what about you, Dave? What do you think? Where do you think this is all heading? Yeah, I, I don't know. Apple blew me away this year, to be honest. I, I didn't expect, I didn't expect any of this except maybe Touch ID. Touch ID was the one I, I kind of expected there. Um, but in terms of like direct next steps, I'm hoping they uh, bring a lot of this stuff back to Mac. To be honest, I know, I know iOS is the uh, sexy new thing, but you know Mac could use a lot of these things as well, like the share, like the action extensions and share extensions and all that. Um, 
they, they have a couple on Mac, but it's just it hasn't gone as far as iOS. And I find that really interesting because for years now it's been like, oh, you can do that on the Mac, but you can't do it on iOS. And that's just been the way it is, right? And, and like pretty much every discussion, you know, about uh, iOS limitations, you know, you'd go start talking about, well, on Mac, this is how I would do it. And now we've got a couple of situations where it's like, okay, well, you can do this on iOS, but you can't do it on Mac. And that's, that's you know, very interesting. I think the example you use is a good one, share extensions. It is already driving me crazy that I can't share things out of Safari the way I, on the Mac that I can on, on my iPad and iPhone. I mean, once you, once you kind of, you know, take a drink from that cup, it's pretty hard to go back, you know. <laughs> and uh, I sure hope, you know, I haven't really looked into it deeply. If Yosemite's, I know Yosemite has like the notification center where they're allowing people to put widgets in, but I don't know how far they're going with um, uh, developers putting uh, extensions into Safari. I'm not sure if you guys are allowed to talk about it. I don't want to get you in trouble. Well, the um, Safari actually has a really good story on Mac just because they have a, a good extension um, architecture there already. Yeah. Well, you would know better than probably anybody on the planet, Dave, because you guys are the premier extension in Safari. So, so in, in that, in that you know, situation, you know, Mac still is ahead of iOS. Um, but in terms of, like, say, action extensions or, you know, um, for other apps to be able to integrate with 1Password, um, we were so excited about iOS, so we tried to replicate it on Mac, um, you know, and, you know, we have a couple of radars open, so we're, we're, just, we're just waiting for those to be addressed. Yeah. I have a feeling people at Apple are probably ready to take some time off as well <laughs> with everything <laughs> that's been going on. I would think so. Yeah. Uh, so, Greg, where do you think this is going next? I think if they keep their foot on the gas, then next they're going to pursue automation with the security model that's manageable by the user. I don't know exactly what the form's going to take, but it seems like an obvious next place to go. I mean, something people forget about is that every year the, the iPhone and the iPad get much more powerful. And the pro, you know, there's so many things that I think were hardware limits in the past and there's so many parts of it that where the software, I mean, when the iPad first showed up and the iPhone, nobody knew how to make an app for them. Nobody knew how users were going to interact with it. And it, it, there was just so much learning for the software developers. And you guys have been you know, taking note and this stuff is becoming more mature. And then it becomes more powerful with the hardware and the software together. I, I am very curious about this. If I know that you know the iPad sales numbers have been a little lower than people expect and they say, well, it's a, it's a passion fad. I don't think so at all. I mean, my, I, we just did a show recently about going to school, and my daughter, who's a college freshman, has no interest in carrying a Mac around with her. She she loves her iPad mini, and she's taking notes in class and studying for exams and writing papers. And an iPad mini is like her device. I mean, we have a Mac at home she can use, but she, she has no interest in a laptop. And I don't think that's – I don't think she's an unusual case for her age. Well, Xcode just doesn't run there yet. That's my problem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, right. Who knows? I've always said that the, you know the the true magic of the Apple platform really isn't in Cupertino. It's all these amazing third party app developers. And I, I truly believe when you look at the applications available on the Mac and the iPad and the iPhone. Um, that's what makes the difference. And I know Apple works really hard to create that environment and give you guys the tools and create the hardware. But, you know, it, I think the true magic of, of of this world for us users and our listeners is what you guys do. I wanted to thank all three of you for all the great work you've done over the years for us. Thank you for having such an excellent show. It's fun. 
Yeah, this has been a long right, Katie? time. This has, yeah, been, th- this has been one of my most anticipated shows, and, uh, and, and you all delivered. So thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thank you so much for, for making such great apps um, that we all use and love. And uh, uh, just, just thank you for continuing to, to support the community as well. Same time next week? Yeah, let's okay. do this again. <laughs> That's it. I think you know what? This is the first of several developer roundtables in the Mac Power Users. So we will be talking to you guys again. Um, uh, just real quick, uh, where can we find you all? Let's start with Ken. Well, uh, there are a couple places you can find me. Probably the, the place that I am most frequently found is on Twitter. Uh, so that would be KK's, um, for me personally. For me as a company, of course, omnigroup.com uh, is where you'll find all of our team and all of our products. Uh, and yeah, look forward to seeing you. How about you, Dave? I um, spend most of my time on Twitter, so D tier, D T E A R E. And um, for the company, probably uh, agilebits.com is the best place to go. And Greg? Personally, I'm Mac Greg, M A C G R E G, on Twitter, and the company is smilesoftware.com. We're also Smile Software and Text Expander and PDF Pen on Twitter. Awesome. So, Katie, where can you find show notes for this uh, developer roundtable? Well, you can find links to everything that we talked about at our website at MacPowerUsers.com or at 5x5.tv slash MPU. Um, you can also send us feedback to feedback at MacPowerUsers.com. That's the email Katie and I both get. Uh, you can find us on Twitter. We're at MacPowerUsers. Katie's at Katie Floyd, and I am at Max Sparky. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you all next week.